Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to Episode 4 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host for today, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and each week I like to begin by telling you just a little bit about myself. And today, I want to talk about my relationship with AUSA, the Association of the United States Army. AUSA is a national organization, and they are a voice for the soldier at a national level, petitioning for Congress for better benefits for service members, veterans, and their families. And at the local level, AUSA does a lot to help with networking, as well as activities that are value-added for members who are military service members, veterans, and their families. And so I have the unique privilege of serving as the president of the Philadelphia chapter of AUSA, Association of the United States Army. And in addition, I'm a longtime friend of the Honorable Patrick J. Murphy. For those of you that have been listening the past few weeks, Honorable Murphy was my first guest on my inaugural episode. And so through those two relationships, I was able to invite our guests for today. I'm very excited about Rear Admiral Kent Davis and the Honorable Ken Wong. Tell you more about them in just a couple of minutes. For those of you that may be listening for the first time today, I want to share with you the idea behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. There are so many people in this country that are hurting, people that are suffering because of a loss of a job. You may not be able to put bread on the table. You may be looking for where you're going to have your next income, how are you going to end restart your life, all kinds of different issues. And what I would encourage you through this program is that servant leadership is the way to restore balance in your life. When you focus on serving others and we're not so consumed by putting bread on the table, then blessings flow from that. And each week I want to have two guests on the show that have very compelling stories that focus on the idea of servant leadership and demonstrate to you how blessings do follow from that. I truly believe that serving is for everyone from all walks of life. In previous weeks, I've had numerous guests that really illustrate this. In the areas of business and military, again, the Honorable Patrick J. Murphy, who had much experience in these two areas and served as a servant leader in those two capacities, as well as Colonel Retired Dean Distributo, very involved in business and military. An aspect of faith, uh, some of our guests were Pastor Phil Caparelli and the Reverend Jimmy White. And those two leaders were very much spiritual leaders and also very much involved in their community. And also from a community perspective, I had Lieutenant Commander Kristen Leone and Miss Nicole Emilio Casper, who both do a lot of work for the nonprofit called Haven, helping female homeless veterans to get up off the street. And so the point of each of these guests, the point of the show, again, is to encourage you to become this idea of a servant leader, to put other people first, the idea of wanting to serve others. And there's so many different ways that you can do it in your business, through the military, faith, community, and even starting with your family. 
Because I truly believe that we're all ministers in some capacity. We all are given a very special gift by God. And we see a need in whatever walk of life we happen to be in. We need to do our best to fill that need. And so today I've got two great examples of servant leadership. My first guest today is the Rear Admiral, retired W. Kent Davis. He's a former senior military leader, and he also currently serves as the head of the Alabama Department of Veterans Affairs. Second guest today is the Honorable Ken Wong. Ken is a owner of two different businesses. He's also a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army, commonly known as a CASA, and he also serves on multiple different boards, providing, again, that servant leadership. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Rear Admiral Kent Davis. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I found God on the corner of First and Amistad, where South Jersey's News Talk, 1400 WOND. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by the Rear Admiral Retired W. Kent Davis. Sir, are you with us today? Yes. Sir, how are you? Thank you so much for joining today. Oh, my pleasure. It's such an honor to be on the show with you. So there are so many different compelling things about your background, but the first thing I'd like to talk about, if it's okay, is your military service. And first, why you decided to join the military? <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, I was probably the most unlikely kid that you would think would join the military. I, I didn't have any affiliation with the military until I graduated from college. Even though my dad had been in the Army and served honorably in World War II, I, for some reason, I wasn't interested in it. I was kind of a quiet, unassuming kid. And then one day, my senior year in college, a recruiter came in from the Navy and put up a poster. And I looked at it, and something just intrigued me. And I thought, well, I'm at least going to talk to the guy. And I talked to him, and the more I talked, it was kind of fascinating. Something clicked in me when I talked to the recruiter. And then I thought, well, I'm going to be one of those I'll serve four years and, and move on to something else, famous last words. But yeah. it was just a chance encounter with a recruiter my senior year of college. Sarah, your story resonates with me so much because when I was a freshman in college, I went and talked to the recruiter for the ROTC program. And my father told me that the school that I wanted to go to was fairly expensive and he couldn't afford more than one year. So he said, well, you should look at alternative forms of paying for school. And, you know, ROTC might be one of those for you. And the conversation with him was much like what you described your own experience. And I said to my parents and my girlfriend at the time, well, I'll just do four years. And after four years, I can be done and put the army behind me and it'll be a good experience. And then the army just has this way of dangling a carrot in front of you. And four years turned into 10, turned into 20. Yes. With me, it ended up turning into 30 years total. So that kid who never had any intention of joining or serving more than four years, something again, clicked in me. It's just, it just was a great honor. Well, sir, you said a 30-year career. Would you mind talking a little bit about how you were able to serve others in that capacity with your very long and you became a very senior officer? How were you able to serve others in that capacity in both the Army and the Navy? 
Yeah, Reverend, I had I, I have a really unorthodox uh, career path in the military. I served on active duty in the Navy, then the Army, and then back with the Navy. And um, I think your background was in logistics. Mine was, too. I started with the Navy Supply Corps way back in 1985 when I talked to that recruiter. And I did um, uh, six years as a Navy Supply Corps officer, served on the battleship Missouri, a famous ship where the end of World War II surrender ceremony occurred. And then I switched over to military public affairs. I was always fascinated by that opportunity to tell the Navy story. And then um, I had the GI Bill coming to me, one of those great benefits in the military. And I knew I wanted to go back to school and get a graduate degree. I finally decided I was going to go back and get a law degree. So after eight years of active duty, I went to law school, used the GI Bill. I did stay in the reserve, thank goodness. And when I finished my law degree, I started getting recruited by the various JAG Corps, Judge Advocate General's Corps, to uh, come back on active duty. Uh, the easiest path for me was to go to the Army. Uh, I could do an inter-service transfer to the Army without loss of rank, and they were wide open on billets, jobs in the Army JAG Corps, and they offered me a position in the city I was living in, in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. So I did an inter-service transfer at the 04 grade. One day I went from being a Navy Lieutenant Commander in the Reserve to an Army Major, and went on active duty as an Army JAG Corps officer for a tour right in Atlanta at Fort McPherson. And um, that was a great experience. I loved both the Navy and the Army on active duty. The one problem was I went into the Army so senior. I was a pretty senior major when I made the transfer over to the Army. Everybody pretty much advised me, you're going to have a hard time getting promoted past the rank of major. So a little reluctantly, I left active duty again, went back to the Navy Reserve, and became a civilian attorney, but was proud to serve out my time in the Navy Reserve for 30 years, and promotions were good to me. was deployed many a time, including most recently spent um, deployment in 2012 to Afghanistan and just had a wonderful experience, 30 years that I would not trade for anything in both the Navy and the Army. Sir, you mentioned a couple of things that I find really compelling. You said the GI Bill, and that's how you were able to get your law degree. The post-9-11 GI Bill, which uh, I think you know Honorable Patrick Murphy during his time, he was instrumental in helping to make that a reality. That's why I was able to pay for my doctorate degree, and I think it helped so many other people, and it really just gave you and I and countless others an opportunity to continue to serve our country while furthering our education and being ready for what the next thing is for us. Absolutely. It's one of those great benefits. And I'll tell you, Reverend, I was able to use both GI Bill programs. I used the traditional, original GI Bill to go to law school. And then when I deployed to Afghanistan, I was eligible for the post-9-11 um, GI Bill. But the great benefit of that is you can transfer those benefits to your dependents. So my two kids who are in college now were able to take advantage of my benefits that I earned in the post-9-11 GI Bill. What a great program. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm hopeful. My name is Paul III, and I mentioned last week my father and grandfather. Uh, we all joined the Army at the age of 17. I'm hopeful that my young man, Paul IV, is going to follow my footsteps and join the Army as well. So I have to ask you, uh, given that you have experience in both the Army and the Navy, please tell me that your favorite service is my beloved Army. <laughs> you know, Reverend, it's funny. I'm not kidding. I love them both. 
even my last 10 years in the Navy Reserve, I served most of my time working for Army leaders. Surprisingly, I was at U.S. Central Command. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan and worked for a three-star Army general. I did a lot of what we call joint service. But most of my bosses in the end of my career were, were Army bosses. I, I really mean it. I'm not just saying this. I love both services. I've also come to love the Air Force because I ended up working for the Air Force for a bit after I retired from the military. Wow, that sir, you have such an incredible legacy of service. You mentioned deployments. I, I wonder what the toll of serving in five different deployments, what did that do to you and to your family, most recently when you deployed to Afghanistan in 2012? How were you able to serve in that capacity, both the service members you were deployed with as well as your family? Wow, what a great question. I and I talk with fellow service members and fellow veterans all the time about this. This invokes what we call the balancing act that you inevitably have to engage in when you're in the military. It is a balancing act. So I did five combat zone deployments, a lot of time away from family. You have to have a family that is supportive and understanding that. Luckily, my wife was also a Navy reservist. She understood the commitment. Her dad had been an Army Reserve chaplain. My father, World War II veteran. So family support was crucial to that. I'm not going to lie. It's tough. I mean, you miss kids' birthdays and soccer games and dance recitals. It's gotten a little better. You can engage in those virtually now, as we've learned over the last year. So even in Afghanistan, I got to engage in video teleconferencing with my kids and sometimes even wish them good night. But uh, again, I'm not going to lie, it's tough sometimes because you miss a lot of those pivotal events in your kids' and your spouse's lives, but it's um, that balancing act that's important in the military, and it's very important to have that family that understands the commitment and your greater service to the nation and the military. Sir, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I had two deployments myself. The first one was to Iraq in 2005 into 2006, and before I left, I was quite nervous about what was going to happen because you see on the news all the time about the number of service members getting injured or killed overseas. And so I actually made a video for my wife and my young son, who at the time was not even one year old yet. And I made a video for every single holiday, like a welcome message of sorts. And then I also made another video in case I didn't come back home. And I gave that video to a friend of mine who is my son's godfather. And I said, listen, if I don't come back, I need you to be the guy that plays this for my family because I just want to be prepared. And I felt as a father and a husband, I had that duty to leave honorably, if you will. And then when uh, that, that, go ahead, sir. That's such a wonderful, wonderful idea. I did something a little bit different. Every time I deployed, I prearranged for flowers to be delivered to my wow. wife every month, just to remind her I haven't forgotten about you, even though I'm far away. I, I love, love that. You and, just wanted to send you a little token to show you that. That is great. You know, and, and in my last appointments, or I don't know if you had the similar experience, but with it being in 2017, the Internet and the wonders of FaceTime and Zoom and such uh, made it possible for me to talk to my family on a regular basis. And so I would get up very early in the morning, way before I had to do anything for my job, and I would have a FaceTime conversation with my wife and my kids, and we blocked off time each day so we can have a short conversation uh, with each one of those family members just to keep it real. And then I would have email correspondence with each one of my family members as well. So 
they would know, even though dad is away, dad is still engaged, dad is still in the picture. I did much the same thing in 2012 when I was in Afghanistan. And just to show you the contrast, my first deployment in, I think it was 1987, the usual way of communicating with your family, I was on a Navy ship. You would write a letter, and they might get it two weeks later, maybe, if you were lucky. Sometimes your letters would get mixed up, so I'd always number the letters so they would know which order to read them in. So there could be weeks gap in communicating with your family. By 2012, when I deployed to Afghanistan, very similar to you, I'd walk down to the USO at Kandahar or the other bases I was stationed at in Afghanistan and could schedule regular Skype conversations with with, uh, my wife and kids, and that made a huge difference. Sir, I couldn't agree more, and I love your idea of a balancing act, but you also mentioned your broadening of your perspective as an Air Force civilian, and now I understand that you also are the head of the Alabama Department of the Veterans Affairs, so how did you maintain that balancing act and further things when you went beyond the military? I have been so blessed, Reverend. I mean it sincerely. So I am... about the time that I wrapped up my military service in 2016, and I, my specialty when I retired was public affairs, several people called me and said they are looking for a retired senior public affairs officer for a new position at Maxwell Air Force Base down in Montgomery. And I was living in Alabama at the time. And I looked at the job announcement. I said, gosh, that's kind of fascinating. I was convinced my affiliation with the military was over. And then I would be a veteran and, you know, just serve from afar and wish those serving in uniform the best. So I thought in one of those moments, kind of like when I first joined the military, I sent my resume in and the rest is history. I was chosen to be the first director of communication and outreach as a civilian at Maxwell Air Force Base and just absolutely loved it and um, learned a lot about the Air Force and a service I have come to respect and love a lot. If either one of my kids came to me and said, I'd like to join the military, they could have their pick of the military services, including Marine Corps and the Coast Guard, and I would give them my blessing because as I've learned about the other services, my respect has just grown. A little different culture in each one, but each one brings a great value to the nation. Then, lo and behold, after a couple of years at Maxwell Air Force Base, I got a call basically asking if I would be interested in serving as the Commissioner of Veterans Affairs for the state of Alabama here in Montgomery because my predecessor was retiring after 13 years of service in that role. And I actually went and talked to my general, who was my boss. I worked for an Air Force three-star general, and I went and talked to him in earnest. I said, I just want to let you know some of the calls I've been getting. I wasn't looking, and he looked me in the face and said, you need to consider this. If people are recommending you for this, you need to take that as a sign. And if you're asked to serve in this role, what better way to serve service members and veterans than in that role? So the rest is history again. So for two years now, I've been Commissioner of Veterans Affairs here in Alabama, still serving the military community, this kid that never had any intention of affiliating with the military. Sir, that is absolutely so impressive. And I love the word you said, 
about seeing it as a sign. I, I so believe that all we need to do is just do the best that we can in whatever God has in front of us at that moment. Give that our full attention, our full measure of devotion and dedication, and it's always preparing us for the next thing. We might not know what that next thing is until it's right in front of us, but God makes it very abundantly clear, hey, this is what I have for you next. You've been faithful with little things in the past, and I'm going to give you something bigger because you've been faithful with that, and please step into this. It sounds like that's what happened for you. You bet, Reverend. Sometimes God works in mysterious ways, and you've got to be on the lookout for those signs. And I've been lucky throughout my career, and God has a way of keep calling me back to work with my brothers and sisters in uniform, and I just love it. Well, sir, we have about a minute and a half left, and so I wonder what kind of influence did your family have on your career? And in particular, I think you mentioned your father-in-law was a chaplain and a minister for 45 years. How did that weigh into your decision process and really your growth and development over your long career? Well, both my father-in-law and my father influenced my military career and just the idea that you have mentioned about servant leadership. I really do try to serve those who have served. My father-in-law um, was a Methodist minister for, gosh, about 45 years, but he was also an Army Reserve chaplain, and I just respected him for that. My father served in World War II and was badly wounded in the Battle of the Bulge. It influences me now because the veterans that I work with, especially the World War II and Korean War and Vietnam veterans, I look at those men and women and I see my dad's face in them and I think I owe that to my dad to help them Sir what a absolute legacy that you have left to honor your family and all the veterans and the service members that you have interacted with and served over your very long career so I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today I really really appreciate it thanks Reverend my pleasure and it's been a blessing when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by the Honorable Kay Wong. Stay with us. We'll be right back. He's a way maker. If you need freedom, save it. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light day and dead of night. WOND Pleasantville. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. I'm joined here today by the Honorable Ken Wong. Ken, thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Oh, Paul, you know, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a great honor to be on your show. Ken, you have such a diverse background, and you've done so many things, but I was wondering if we could start with your experience in business. I know you have two different companies. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you do there? Oh, sure. Um, when I was getting out of college, there was not a lot of uh, opportunities with a, for a young guy with you know no background, with two liberal arts degrees. So... Um, you know, the only per- the only company that was giving interviews was a you know was this big insurance company, so you know I, I took the one and only interview I could get, and uh, I, I you know it was interesting talking to these different people, and finally they offered me a, you know they offered me the position I was looking for, which was a claims representative, and then they said, but you you also you know we also like you to consider being an underwriter, huh. and I said, well at that time I I was didn't have two nickels to rub together, and I said. Uh, 
oh, an underwriter, which makes more money. <laughs> and they said, well, the underwriter makes $100 a year more. I said, great, I'll take that. <laughs> and then at the end of the uh, interview, she said, to, so do you have any questions? I said, yes. What's an underwriter? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got my, my start in, in the insurance industry. And, um, you know, over, over the years, you know, I've been blessed with uh, having a lot of success uh, meeting a lot of wonderful people, and uh, I learned a, a lot about different businesses, different industries, and then um, in 2004, you know, I was blessed with, you know, President George W. Bush appointed me to uh, a White House commission uh, for Asian Americans, where I was involved in advising the president on um, issues dealing with the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, uh, primarily economic development and, and leadership development. Okay. And because of my experience there, um, you know, I got a little bit more, you know, international visibility. So that's how I launched my, my second business, uh, NAVPAC um, Advisors, which is uh, business consulting, government consulting you know, overseas. And so it sounds like much of what has happened for you is kind of a similar story as what Admiral Davis was talking about. The things that are a part of your journey kind of gives you signs. There's a roadmap along the way. You're just being diligent with what God put in front of you, and more and more opportunities just kept presenting themselves. Absolutely, Paul. Um, you know, I don't know why certain things um, get presented in front of me, but I always feel as if you know there's there's an alt, you know there's a higher being um, that presents these 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 opportunities, and you know I I feel like well. You know, I have I have some experience in it, and 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 I can I can do more with it, and I can help more people with it. And um, I always tell people, you know, young people, you know, give it a always give something a shot. You, yeah. you, you know, you, you can do great in it. If you don't do great in it, you learn something from it. Yeah. Either way, you don't pass up the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Ken, what's your experience as a business leader? How are you able to kind of live out servant leadership with the people that you serve in those two organizations? You know, Paul, um, my, my, what I do for a living in, in my business is I tell people it, it's there to support my lifestyle. And, and my lifestyle is my, my passion to serve and help other people. Um, I know my, my parents, um, you know, my father was actually born in the United States, um, but as a, an infant returned to China uh, during the Great Depression um, and did not return to the United States until you know 1950, after the communists had, had taken over, had taken over China. For so, for all intents and purposes, you know he really um, was an immigrant. He didn't speak English, couldn't read English. Hmm. Um, and my mother, you know, um, married my father, and and she immigrated to the United States. And I've always seen how hard they work, but I also noticed the number of people who helped them. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt as if, okay, I'm blessed with being born in the United States, um, having great education, participating in a lot of different things, working in the White House, you know, working you know, at the, the Pennsylvania Governor's Commission for Asian Americans, and just being blessed with a lot of those things. So I have to pay it forward. Yeah. You know, how do I make the, the pathway for that next group of people coming in, whether it's people coming into the United States or the next generation um, that's hopefully will become our next set of leaders. So helping with leadership development and trying to make those connections between all the different organizations that I, I serve and, and um, how do I network one with the other? How do I um, uh, assist one organization resources from another organization so both can accomplish their mission 
at the same time um, do good for other people. Yeah. Ken, I mean, you have done so much. I wonder if your example as a successful Asian American has really given other people, other Asian Americans, something to emulate. Have you ever mentored somebody or somebody come back to you and said, Ken, like, I've looked at your life and I've wanted to model that, like, and now I've done X, Y, Z, A, B, C because of that. You know, Paul, I've I've had people, um, young people say that to me and I tell them, listen, don't model me. Model yourself. Mm. You you are you, you have the the smarts. Um, you have the talent. You have the skills. You just need the opportunity to hone those skills. You just need the opportunity to de- to develop um, that talent that you really do have. God gave everybody some talent, and some people have the opportunity to to develop it and, and sharpen it. Some people don't have as all those opportunities, but everybody's got something to offer. You know each other. And um, so, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm the farthest thing from uh, the best example or the, the smartest person in the room. I always, you know, I, I figure I'm usually not the smartest person in the room, but I know who the smartest people are in the room. So I know who to ask questions to. Um, but uh, I try to teach people that uh, you, you can't do it on your own and, and you need to work as a team with, with one another. Um, and, you, and you know you need to be humble. You need to be humble and, and realize that um, there's always going to be somebody smarter and, and faster and bigger and stronger. Um, but your role in life, you know, in this massive journey that we have, um, is to connect to one another, communicate with one another, and, and try to lead when you can. And but also know when to follow. Yeah. Well, Ken, knowing you personally, I would say that I definitely try to emulate the characteristics that I've seen in you. You are such an incredibly generous person. And when I started with AUSA, you were the first person to encourage me and you encouraged me to run for president. And then when I did, you were very supportive and, well, think about this and think about that. And just very much in a mentorship capacity for me. So I really, really appreciate that. And I try to pay it forward to other people that haven't come as far along as I have. So I really look to you for those kind of things. I appreciate that. You know, Paul, I, you know, when we first met, I, I could tell that, um, you know, there, there was a, you had a lot going on. Um, and to me, I just I, I looked at you and I just said, this guy just needs, you know, the, the right timing and the right opportunity to just blossom. Listen, you're the one here with a TV, with a radio show, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're funny. But... You also have had a number of other opportunities. So I know that you also serve as a CASA, uh, which is a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army. But for those listening that might not understand what that is, can you give a little background and definition of that program? Sure, sure. Um, the, the CASA program, you know, got started many, many, many years ago um, when the Army realized that, you know, not everybody serves, not everybody understands the Army, um, and that. It really is a nation that, that, that raises and supports an army. So the, the CASA, the civilian aides of the Secretary of the Army, is, for better words, is, is like a, a conduit uh, between the Secretary and the American public mm-hmm. for information to be disseminated from him or her down um, and from the American public up to that office. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, the, we're there to support the general officers and, and support the soldiers. Um, on any given day, I find myself, you know, mentoring a, a young NCO or speaking to a two or three star general, um, and, and assisting where I, can, you know, where I can assist. Um, again, it's it's you know we're we're all we're all part of a 
you know, a team. Yeah. And overall, God has a has a mission for everybody. Um, and we're all playing, you know, we're playing our roles and playing our parts there. Um, but I guess the uh, the secretary wants to make sure that you know I'm equipped to do what I need to do. So um, you know, I have a, an equivalent rank of an 09, which is a is a three star, mm-hmm. um, and that gives me the ability to to help um, help the soldiers um, when you know when I need to, to speak with somebody and you know higher up the, the chain of command, I, I can I can reach them. And how are you selected for that? What does the process look like for that? And clearly, we're talking about roadmaps and how God things line up for you. <laughs> what, what? How did that opportunity come about for you? You know, Paul, um, I, I, I wonder about that sometimes. Um, so b- back in 2007, after I was finished uh, working at the White House, um, I received a phone call from um, you know from uh, the consultants that were working for the Army, and they. They said uh, Lieutenant General Frankly, who was a sessions commander, um, was creating these um, uh, community uh, advisory boards to help the Army connect with the, with the American public as, as really as, as a tool to help with the re- recruiting mission mm-hmm. because people didn't understand that the Army really has a lot of different opportunities. Not every soldier is, is, is uh, combat arms. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, only 12% of the Army is combat arms, and everybody else is in a support role. Right. So... Um, you know, they, they reached out to me, and, and um, so back in 2007, I started working and supporting as a volunteer uh, the Army Recruiting Command, and I found, my, found myself, you know, working with the senior leaders in addition to working in the Philadelphia region. Um, and, you know, I had the opportunity to travel and speak, you know, in other parts of the country to other community groups in, in encouraging them to support and help the, the recruiters. Um, and then in 2017, uh, at that time, uh, Major General Jeff Snow, who was the, the recruiting commanding general, mm-hmm. um, must have submitted my name to the secretary. And um, at, at, the, at the same time, I was my name was being submitted for an Army Reserve ambassador. Mm. So I received both appointments separately, and I, I said to um, Major General uh, Troy Koch, who was the um, the Army Reserve Division commander. Um, I said, uh, well, Troy, you know, uh, should I take the Army Reserve um, ambassador's position? And he actually said, no, don't do that. <laughs> because the, 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 the CASA position has a higher protocol, and, and, you know, that's what you should have to be able to do the things that, that I know that you can do. So, you know, that's, that's how it all occurred. Wow. What has been your most memorable experience of serving others as a CASA? Uh, you know, you know, Paul. It's it's helping with helping with the um, recruiting command because you know we, we have we have this great country, um, and we have a lot of young people that sometimes just you know for for circumstances beyond their control, they don't they don't have all the same opportunities that other young people would have, yeah. and you know the the army. You know, the, the Army is one of the, the best job training institutions in the world. Yeah. It's one of the best leadership training institutions in the world. And, you know, and I've, I've met some great soldiers, and, and you listen to their stories, and you find out where they came from, but because of the opportunity the Army gave them, and, and they were willing to take advantage of the opportunities presented before them. Yeah. You know, um, they've risen They've risen to some some. Fabulous ranks. They've they've done some wonderful things. 
I don't think it's anything that personally I feel I've done, but I think my my greatest uh, thrill in being in Casa is getting to meet some of the some of the most outstanding people you could ever want to meet, whether they're you know um, Medal of Honor recipients, um, great great leaders of of men and women um, that frankly go on and and because at some point in time, just like yourself, you you hang up that uniform. And um, and you and you move on to the next chapter in your life, and, and and some of these men and women have done outstanding things in in the community, and a lot of it is because of their great leadership skills that they developed while in the army. So, um, you know, um, I I count myself as being very very uh, blessed and, and fortunate to to meet these people. I love that, Tim. We only have about a minute left, but I wanted to ask you. How do you serve others currently through all the different board work that you do? You have so many different organizations that you're involved with, so many different boards. How are you able to serve others in that capacity? What's that like for you? It's 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 what gets me up in the morning. It's it's what makes me um, you know want to do ten meetings in a given day because if I can help one more person um, open up their lives and open up their eyes and and, and make it better for them to serve other people um, and make an impact in the world. That's that's what keeps me going. That's what drives me. I love that. Just help one more person. I Just love one more. that. One step at a time, one person at a time. That is wonderful. Ken, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show today. Your stories, your example is just really incredible. I think it gives other people something to follow. Thank Paul, you so much. Paul, thank you very much. It was an honor to be on your show today. Thank you. All right. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership we've heard from today's guest. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, I want to just briefly talk about what we've heard from today's guest. We heard first from Rear Admiral Kent Davis and then the Honorable Ken Wong. And they covered so many different ways that you can serve. In the aspect of serving in your business and the workplace, you heard Honorable Wong talk about wanting to help people in his organization take the next step. What can he do to be helpful to them? In the community, you heard Honorable Wong talk about the different boards that he's on. And it's what gets him up in the morning, being able to serve in that capacity and make things happen and serve other people in the community. When you look at faith, you heard both gentlemen talk about how God has kind of laid out a roadmap for them, and they were diligent in the small things, and those small things kept leading to bigger and bigger things. And so through their faith in action, they were able to just have more and more blessings come upon them. In the military, you heard Rear Admiral Davis talk about the multiple services that he has been able to be a part of, the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force as a civilian. You also heard Honorable Wong talk about his role as a CASA and how he's able to serve the Secretary of the Army and make sure that information is going all the way up and all the way down. And you also heard Rear Admiral Davis talk about how he's able to serve his family and all of the things that he's done. 
It's a balancing act. We have to make sure that we're being diligent with all the responsibilities that we have, but also at the same time making time for our spouse and our children. So again, I would encourage you that no matter what walk of life you're in, no matter what you're involved in, there are ways to serve. There's ways to get out and engage in your community, in your workplace, live out your faith, serve in the military, and serve your family. Each week I talk to you about when you put good into the universe, the universe brings good back to you. And I want to just briefly share with you an example of how that played out for me recently. Over the past four years, I've had an opportunity and really a privilege to serve on the lead team of an organization called Kingsway Leadership School. And you heard Pastor Phil Caparelli in my inaugural episode talk about Kingsway Leadership School. And I've served in this capacity in the last four years as a volunteer, not paid, just wanting to engage and help to develop the next generation of servant leaders. And that good putting into the universe, helping to uh, lead this organization, I really felt like good came back to me because this past week I was able to go on a retreat with Kingsway Leadership School and the lead team and the students there. And it was just such an opportunity of renewal and refreshment and bringing about a sense of new charge and wanting to move forward and have clarity in my life. And I would say to you, that if you have not had an opportunity to go on a retreat of any kind, you probably should think about that. And if you're not taking time to rest and to renew yourself on what I call the Sabbath, you should consider that as well. It was such a blessing to participate in that uh, retreat, and I'm so thankful to Pastor Phil for that opportunity. Next week, I have two incredible guests in the area of faith. One is my friend, Mr. Christopher McCall. Chris is a leader in a youth group at our church. He's also a life group leader as well as a life group coach. My other guest next week is Mr. Steve Burton. He's a music instructor, he's a worship leader, and he's a songwriter slash musician. I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple Podcast mailing list, and you can do that through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. Thank you so much for joining today. And as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask yourself and ask others around you, how can I help? Thanks so much. Never